Okay, welcome to the Spirit of Prophecy Church Bible Study. I hope and pray that everyone is getting a good copy in that this is the first time we've done it this way. We hope that there's not going to be too many glitches and too many problems, but at least we are recording it. And so if we have to, we can go back and repost it or edit or whatever we have to do to get the message out. Okay, now, uh, since we don't have people sitting around us, Hopefully we have people that are going to be watching online and I am told that you folks online will be able to send emails or text messages. And I'm told I'm going to be able to see those if I'm doing it right here. I think most of the time, two or three people do this and, and probably people smarter than me are doing it, but we will see because it certainly has some advantages. I mean, I liked not having to leave an hour and a half early to get there and get all set up. It's nice to just walk over 10 minutes before and turn it all on and get it all started. And I know that there's a lot of people that are appreciating not having to drive 25 minutes to 45 minutes to get to the church to be a part of it. So hopefully this will fill in the blank. But there is one big thing that's going to be different, and that is I'm not going to sing a solo of these hymns. So we're not going to sing any hymns. So we'll just pray and get started reading the Bible. So let's get started. First of all, Lord, we worship you. We say great and marvelous are the works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee when thy judgments are made manifest. When you split the sky, when the heaven rolls back like a scroll, and they see your glory, and they see the morning star cleanse the earth of all sin, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. We look forward to seeing you at the great white throne, watching you judge the world, we look forward to seeing you and getting our great rewards of the Feast of Trumpets at Armageddon. But probably most, we look forward to seeing you brought before the Ancient of Days at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb, where you're given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And your dominion is an everlasting dominion. Your kingdom is that which shall not be destroyed, where all people, nations, and languages shall serve and obey you. And we know that we are probably in the tribulation. If not, we're certainly close to it. And that there's many, many tests about to come up. And we ask that you prepare our heart, prepare our spirit to endure those tests so that we can all be overcomers, so we can all hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Wisdom and might are yours. You change the times and seasons. You removeth kings and setteth up kings. You giveth wisdom to the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. You reveal it, the deep and secret things, and you know what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with you. And Lord, we ask that you would show us the deep and secret things in your word tonight. You are infinite. Your word is infinite. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will never pass away. Who can understand it except the Holy Spirit reveals it? So Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal the deep and secret things in your word tonight. Help us to understand it. Help it to change the world and take it out of us and put your spirit in us in jesus name amen okay so this can be kind of cool i just pushed the right button 
my son Sean helped me program this. Watch this. And there we go. You can read the Bible along with me. Now, I do have one of my many Bibles here, but it's a whole lot easier to read it off the screen. So I'm just going to read it off the screen. We're in John 16.1. And I think there's still enough scriptures left in John, but if there's not, then we'll go to another ver or another chapter after that. Okay, so in John 16, the situation is these are the last few hours before Jesus is about to be brought before the councils where he's going to be found guilty, nailed to the cross, and his blood is about to hit the Ark of the Covenant, fulfilling all of the Levitical covenants concerning human sacrifice, and he's about to defeat the devil. The devil thinks that he's about to kill the kingdom or the, the, the son of the king and take the kingdom. He thinks he's about to have a great victory, but he's about to be greatly defeated. He didn't understand. So Lord, help us to understand. So here we are, John 16, 1. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. Well, that has already come and gone probably many times in many different nations and many different uh, eras. But of course, we that are living in the tribulation, we're going to see that harder than anything else. There's a, when, when Prophecy Club first started in 1993, it started in June. I wish I had noted the day, but I didn't. But uh, a fellow got us into it. The call asked me to do a radio program, a Bible prophecy. Later, probably a few months later, once he start, started to grow and started to do well, he said, you know, your biggest problem, your biggest attack, your biggest enemy, surprisingly, is not going to be from the secular world. It's going to be from Christians. That's what this is saying. The people that will attack you the most will be former Christians, and sad to say, probably a lot of them, will be your pre-trib disappointed Christians that got mad at their pastors mad at the church, mad at the Bible, mad at the world, because they didn't get taken out like they had been promised for many years. Verse 3, And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I told you, that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things said I not unto you at the beginning, because I was with you. But now I go my way to him that sent me. In other words, he's saying, I'm about to die. I'm about to be killed. And none of you asketh me whether thou goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. Now, this is going to be different for me to switch here. The comfort will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, what does reprove mean? He's going to bring judgment on them. He's going to bring conviction. And that's one of the things that we Christians hate, but really look forward to. And that is, a lot of times, at least talking about myself, I don't do something wrong primarily because the Holy Spirit's telling me, don't do it. But I know that if I do that, the guilt is going to hit and 
I, I, it, guilt hits me so fast. I just would say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm the one, I'm the one, I'm the one. I did it. I did it. <laughs> Get this guilt off of me. That's what you're saying. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go into my Father and you see me no more. <clears throat> of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Now, remember the scripture in there where it says that the, uh, the restrainer is removed? I'm not convinced that anybody totally understands that scripture, but one of probably the best explanations is it's talking about the Holy Spirit. But I heard John Gilmore. Okay, who's John Gilmore? For probably nine months, maybe it was a year and a half, I didn't make note of it. Just before Prophecy Club started, God tested me several ways, but one of the ways is he sent me out to do a Bible study out of the local prison. And the guy that had been leading the Bible study there for year, years was John Gilmore. Never forget the name, an old man. Here was his story, an amazing story. He said, I was raised with my family teaching me how to pick pockets. And I learned how to steal as a very young man. The very first thing I can remember is stealing. And I didn't know it was bad. He says, that's what our family did. We stole for a living. He said, as I got older, they began to give me names of people. And I was to knock on the door and introduce them myself and say, uh, I'm so-and-so and such and such. And you have policy number so-and-so and such and such. And I'm here to replace it. And of course, the people would just replace their, their uh, life insurance policies because he knew that information. I mean, who wouldn't, right? And he said, I, I, it was easy selling. You know, when you knock on the door and say, I'm here to replace it. So they just canceled the old policy, bought a new policy for him. He probably had a 99% closing rate. And he said, I had money hanging out of every pocket I had. Money stashed all over the house. Had money every place. But trouble had finally caught up with me. And he said, and I found myself laying in a hospital bed. My wife was the daughter of a preacher. But I still would have nothing to do with that Jesus stuff. Wouldn't go to church, wouldn't hear of it, didn't want to have anything to do with it. But I found myself laying in a hospital bed. And he said, and they told me that I wouldn't make it through the night. And he said, but my wife called the evangelist, the traveling evangelist that was going through town at that time, asked him, begged him to come down and pray for me. He said, this big guy, like about six foot six, walked into the hospital room. And he said, walked in, and he did this. He said, put his hand just like that, right over my face. And he said, he just shook my head like that and said, Jesus healing. Turned around and walked out of the room. He said, when he got out of the room, a fire, a light, a beam of light hit me in the top of the head. And as it came down, my eyes began to work again. As it came on down, as it hit my neck, I could move my neck again. As it came down, my heart started beating right. I started able to breathe again. He said, it went on down. And he said, 
after he got to the toes, I jumped up out of bed. He said I had hoses to pull out of every orifice. I pulled them out, said, bring me my clothes. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Jesus, heal me. Jumping up and down. He said, I locked myself in a bedroom for two years. Told We had plenty of money. Told my wife, bring me food. Don't bother me. He said, I got that King James Bible and I started reading it. I had to find out about this God that had saved me, that had healed me. He said, so for two years, probably 10, 12, 14 hours a day, all I did was read the Bible. He said, I know I've read the New Testament like 75 times and the Old Testament, I, I think he said it was 35 times. And he had memorized the whole Bible. And some of the guys in the in the Bible study at the prison would test him. They would just open the Bible any place and they'd start reading. As touching the Gentiles, which he'd tell them book, chapter, and verse. Or they'd turn and they'd go, okay, uh, Psalm 39, verse 4. Lord, make me to... He knew it that well. John Gilmore, great man of God. Knew the Bible, knew it well. So he was talking about this. And he said, why not? He says that, but the Bible says that if I go to the bottom of the ocean, the Holy Spirit is there. You cannot remove the Holy Spirit. He said, if you remove the Holy Spirit, then no one would have any breath. He said, so it absolutely cannot be the Holy Spirit is the restrainer that is removed. So the answer is, and we're not covering that tonight, I don't exactly know. But this is one of the reasons a lot of people think that it is. All right, let's go back. I have yet many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. How be it when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whosoever, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore, said I, that he shall take of mine and shall show it unto you. A little while, and you shall see me not. In other words, I'm about to die, about to be crucified. But you didn't want to tell him that. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. In other words, three days later, because I go to the Father. And then 40 days later, of course, he went to the Father. Then said some of his disciples among themselves, what is this that he saith unto us? A little while, and you shall see me not, not see me. And again, a little while, and you shall see me. And because I go to the Father, they said, therefore, what is this that he says? A little while, we cannot tell what he saith. Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. Now, apparently, these 12 disciples were not all close sitting around the table when this went on. Even though they were whispering in the ear, and probably a human ear couldn't hear it, he knew by the Spirit what they were saying. So Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said to him, Do you inquire among yourselves of that, I said, a little while, and you shall see me, not see me, and a little while, uh, you shall see me? Verily, rarely, remember, again, every time he says verily, rarely, there's a deeper meaning. It repeats twice. Verily, rarely, I say unto you that you shall weep, and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and you should be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. What's he talking about? He's saying that when he is crucified, the world will have joy, but we will have sorrow. 
But what's the second rep repetition of that? Well, the second repetition is, like right now, the world is having joy because the Democrats are in charge, the evil is in charge, and they're taking over everything. I mean, there's no justice in this nation. It doesn't make any difference that the laptop was the laptop from hell was found three years ago, and the FBI just couldn't seem to get anything done with it because there's just no justice. But the, a time is going to come when there is joy, just like once Jesus had risen from the grave, there was joy. Of course, then he left, and their joy left, a lot of it. But he's going to come back, and there's going to be joy once again. All right, let's go on. A woman, when she travailed, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. And you now therefore have sorrow, but I see you again, and your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day, wait a minute, wait a minute, just was that was important. And your joy no man taketh from you. See, he's saving the best wine for last. What's the best wine? The best wine is when he returns on the white horse. He blows that morning star down, the light sword. That's when he destroys all of the evil from the earth. As I've said this many times, as it hits us, out of our belly flows rivers of living water. All of a sudden, in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, we get our glorified body. We no longer have flesh and bone. We are glorified. We are like a light body. We get all of our mantles, our crowns, our rewards, and for us, in that instant, we never hunger again, never thirst again, we never die again, we never have pain again, we never sin again. From that instant, eternity starts for us. So when he says, see, I don't have somebody to show me where I was. <laughs> for joy, for man is born into the world, and your joy no man taketh away from you. So when he returns, He's saying again, at that time, no one's going to take your joy away. Your wife wailed tears from your eyes. Your old men will dream dreams. Young men will see visions. Uh, but that's before Jesus returned. But after he returns on the Feast of Trumpets, then no one will take your joy again. And in that day, you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Now, why did he say verily, verily? Again, when he says that, he doesn't just say that just to repeat himself. He doesn't have a stutter problem. So when he says verily, verily, he means I'm saying it once, but I'm saying it twice. So where's the second time? Well, the first time is I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That's the first time. Where's the second time? Where's the second time? The second time is to you. He's saying it to you. In other words, verily be I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So he knows his own and whatsoever. Uh, okay, sirens are sounding. So I guess this is a good time for us. We're not going to stop this. We're going to keep going. Instead, we're going to pray. First of all, before I pray, <laughs> this is what I do <laughs> when something like this comes up. So I guess this is a good teaching tool. So, yes, outside the, the window here, I hear sirens. That means that a tornado, there's a storm outside. So it means a tornado has been spotted. So, dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to forgive our sins, sins of our family, sins on Prophecy Club, the church, prophetic oil, Joseph Kitchener Ministries, and all of our supporters. 
We put on our full armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, loins of the truth and feet of the gospel. We pick up the shield of faith and sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We ask you to place your ministering, protecting, and guardian angels all around us, our family, our finances, and possessions, so that no harm or evil will befall us. We plead the blood of Jesus over our body, soul, spirit, mind, subconscious, subliminal areas, and all communications coming to, from, around, and concerning us. In the name of Jesus, we send out the ministering, protecting, guardian, and warrior angels to destroy evil principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this world and evil in high places specifically. We send them out to stop this tornado, which I believe is an attack of scalar wave from evil upon this area. We send out the ministering, protecting, guardian, warrior angels to stop the scalar wave attack. This storm will be a storm of blessing. It will not cause any damage or any loss of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, back to what we were saying. Okay, very rarely I say to you, whatsoever she ask in the Father in my name, he will give you. Hitherto, have you asked nothing in my name? Ask, and you shall receive, that your joy may be full. These things have I spoken unto you in the Proverbs. But the time cometh when I shall no more speak unto you in Proverbs but I shall show you plainly of the Father. At that day, you shall ask in my name, and I shall not, and I shall say not unto you that I will pray for the Father. At that day, you shall ask in my name, and I say not unto you that I will pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loveth you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came forth from the Father and I came into the world again. I leave the world and go to the Father. In other words, he's about to die. His disciples said in him, Lo, now speakest thou plainly, and speakest no proverb. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus answered in him, Do ye now believe? Behold, the hour cometh, Yea, is now coming. And I find that amazing. These disciples have walked with them for at least several months, many of them several years. They have eaten with him. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the angels. I mean, they've, they've seen it. They, they saw a lot. Now, true, they didn't have the whole Bible like we have today. But they saw a whole lot. But yet, he's still saying, some of you don't believe. And I know... I know <laughs> we have the whole Bible. We want to say, oh, I can't believe they don't believe. I can't believe. Yeah, but surely they believe they spent time with Jesus. Well, maybe it wasn't so easy because we still have a lot more information than them. And, you know, like we can read, we're much more educated. So maybe we shouldn't be so quick to condemn them. But we want to think that if we're in that same situation, oh, we believe, yeah, we'd really believe. But look, how many people today, even though we have the Bible, how many of them yet still believe? Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered. Every man to his own, ye shall leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, how do we overcome the world? 
Yes, accept Jesus. Yes, get baptized. Yes, read the Bible, go to church. You know, all of that is overcoming. But in my opinion, that's not the definition of an overcomer. An overcomer, you know, it would take a whole evening of me digging out the right scriptures to show you this, but I, I wrote in my book, under uh, Secret Door to Understand Bible Prophecy, explain that. But to be an overcomer, I believe that Revelation teaches you have to see the beast, you have to hear the beast, but you do not take the mark of the beast. In other words, you didn't just overcome the world and the things of the world. You overcame the beast. So in my opinion, right now, there are no overcomers because the beast has not made himself open and public yet. But for lots of reasons, apparently that's about to happen. So when we see him, I'm telling you right now, it's going to be a test. Even though we're sitting here you know, with, with our jaw set, our decisions made, we're not going to take that mark of the beast. I'm going to say I think it's going to be a lot tougher than what you could possibly imagine because the very best rewards in heaven are being an overcomer. Okay, let's go. And that was giving him power. Let me, uh, let's go back. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes unto heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. In other words, they are, it's now time for him to die. Glorify thy son, that thy son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. He is, Jesus is, the righteous judge. I think it's Matthew 5, 23 or 22 or something like that. It says, the father judges no man, but has given all power and judgment unto the son. The son is the only judge of people. Thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they are. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. And they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. See, he's, they, these are his last words to his disciples. This is the goodbye speech to his disciples. He's about to be crucified. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. By the way, the sirens have stopped. I'm going to read that again. And all mine are thine, and all thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, 
in other words, uh, Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things speak I, I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from evil. That's a very famous scripture there. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be as one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. See, Revelation says that we're going to be able to sit down on the throne. The overcomers can sit on the throne, even as Jesus sat down on the throne with the Father. That's what he's talking about. They all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee. That they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be as one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also I'm not going to get up. This is real powerful wind outside, and I think I hear hail. So, Lord, once again, we send out the ministering, protecting, guardian, and warrior angels to stop this attack, to see that there is no damage, no one hurt. Dogs are getting messed up here. They don't like all this funny sound. I'm tempted to go look. All right, hang on. I'll be right back. Okay, would you say that? <laughs> Those, it's hailing. 
I don't know if you can see those stones there, but it's hitting everything out there. I mean, it's, can you see them? So we are having a hail of a Bible study tonight. <laughs> okay, so it'll pass in a second. There's not going to be any damage. Not a problem. We prayed. This is what this whole, <laughs> Jesus kind of bringing a little reality to us here tonight because that's what we've been praying about, to, to believe. Oh, yeah, let's, let's back up. In them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and has loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom, you know, one more thing. There's this little app that I just happened to have on my cell phone that will show if there is a tornado in the area. Of course, the problem is everybody jumps on it, so I don't even know if it's going to be working. Yeah. I'm not worried about it. Okay, 24. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may be behold my glory, which thou hast given thee, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love whereof thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Maybe this is a big attack from the devil, huh? Okay, so we're 18.1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into which they entered and his disciples, and Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? He answered them, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Jesus also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said that unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. In other words, as soon as... Jesus said, I'm he. They all went slain in the spirit. They all were passed out from the power of Jesus. That's one thing the soldiers should have said, uh, wait, wait a minute. This is somebody special. Are we sure we want to be arresting this guy? And then, of course, well, here there's more. Let's read through it. Then ask he them again, whom seek ye? So this is the third time Jesus asked. And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I've told you that I'm he. If therefore you seek me, let these go their way. You remember, he just said the sheep will be scattered. Apparently, if he hadn't said that, if he hadn't come forward that quickly and, and said, I'm the one, let them go, they might have also arrested the disciples too. That the same might be fulfilled, which he spake of, of them which gave us him, have I lost none. Meaning it might have been that the other 12 disciples might have been put in prison or, who knows, tortured or maybe even crucified too. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name is Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into thy sheath. 
the cup which my father has given me, shall I not drink it? So what happened to the soldier's right ear? I think Jesus simply walked over and picked it up and put it back on his head. No damage, no problem. All the pain's gone. <laughs> That's the second thing. The soldier should have said, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Time out, time out. We all just went slain in the spirit when this guy said, I'm he. His servant cut off Malchus' ear over here. He put it back on. Are we sure we're supposed to arrest this guy? There was all kinds of signs. But when the devil's in it, I mean, there's just no justice, right? Kind of like today. Then the band and the captain's officers, the Jews, took Jesus and bound him and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, that that disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without, then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door, and brought him Peter. Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou not thou also one of this man's disciples? He saith, I am not. Okay, so it may have been if Jesus had not stood up and said, I'm the guy you're looking for three times, let the other ones go. It may have been that all the disciples would have been rounded up. And, of course, that could have been a real problem for the gospel. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made fire by the fire coals, for it was cold. And they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him and said, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Another scripture says, that which I do, I do openly. But see, the devil is the one that always comes to the back door. He's the one that's working behind your back, under the table. He's working in secret. He is the most subtle beast of the field. Well, what we Christians want is, can you just tell me the truth? Spit it out. Tell me the truth. I can handle the truth. At least that's my attitude anyway. <clears throat> I'm going to read it again. Jesus answered him and said, I speak openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple whether the Jews always resort, and I have in secret have said, I, have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me. What have I said unto them? Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now, this might not be the best way to handle it when you've been arrested. <laughs> so, but all of this Jesus is doing in a perfect way, he says, I don't do anything of my own self. I do what the Father tells me to do. So this was all to bring them to the point to where they would crucify him. Now, Annas had sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said, therefore, unto them, 
Art thou not also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. You know, <clears throat> every one of us has read this in our lifetime. And we've all turned back to the mark of the beast. And we've all said, mm, nah, nah, not me, not me. I, I'll never take that mark of the beast. And I believe we won't. But I want to let you know, even though we've thought about it, we've made a decision on it, we've set our jaw toward it, we ain't taking no mark of the beast. Our children might starve to death. We might be, we might be crucified. We might be beaten. We might be tortured, but we're not taking that mark of the beast. Because people take that mark of the beast, they're tossed in the lake burning with brimstone, with the beast, the false prophet, and a thousand years later, Lucifer joins them. And they are tormented forever and ever, day and night, without any possibility of escape. Now, the word tormented means try to imagine yourself being thrown into a fire like the little children are thrown in for Moloch, for child sacrifice. Torment is total, unbelievable, unstoppable pain. Try to imagine that for all eternity. We want to think, oh, no, we ain't, we ain't taking that mark of the beast. We, we got that settled. That's okay. I, I don't think we will. But I want to let you know, you, you need to have your jaw set. It's going to be harder than what we think. That's the reason we get such blessings for resisting it. And there's going to be a lot of people that will lose their life, will lose their head. But all you do is get the highest resurrection. You lose your head for Jesus, especially if you're an overcomer. Uh, you sat on one of the thrones in heaven. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Okay. Weren't you the guy that cut off my ear? <laughs> I think you'd remember the guy that cut off my ear, you know. Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Then led Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment. And it was early, and they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Remember, see, Jesus had told Peter the cock would not crow before he de de denied him twice. I keep getting that mixed up. Twice or thrice. Twice. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the hall of judgment, and it was early, and they themselves went not into the hall of judgment, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? They answered and said unto him, If he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate to them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law, meaning, we're not judging him according to the public law, the Roman law. You go judge him according to the Jewish law, which is exactly what had to happen for him to be the legal sacrifice. So the Jews therefore said to him, is it not lawful for us to put any man to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die? Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said to them, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, it's very important, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it of me? Okay, so he says, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus did answer him. Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it, uh, tell it thee of me? He's trying to get him to say, to confess, that he believes he's king of the Jews. So Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? 
Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate didn't understand. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. What did he just say? Pilate therefore said unto them, Art thou a king of the Jews? Jesus answered said, You say that I am. So Jesus already knew that in some secret conversation, maybe a conversation with God, maybe in a dream or somehow, Pilate had already said he is king of the Jews. Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and saith unto them, I find no fault at all. But ye have a custom. See, Pilate's trying to get him off here, okay? But ye have a custom that I should release unto you one of the Passover. Will ye therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? He thought they'd say, okay, release him. Then cried they all again, saying, not this man, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So they preferred to have Jesus crucified and let the robber go by. Now, why is that important? Because in Leviticus 16, 14, once a year, the high priest is commanded to take, well, they bring him two goats. They cast lots. One goat is released into the wilderness, and that's the scapegoat. The, the blood of the other goat is put into a golden bowl and taken into the Holy of Holies. And it's such a big deal that they put little bells around the bottom of the skirt of the high priest. So as he walked, it would ring the bells. If the bells stopped ringing, they would know that he's dead. And they also tied a rope. This is not, I don't think this is written, but this is, Passed down through the years, I guess you'd say. They'd take a rope, put rope and put it around the high priest's ankle because if the bells stopped ringing, they weren't walking into the Holy of Holies. And they would pull him out <laughs> because he's dead. So once a year is a very, very big deal. And there were several sacrifices Leviticus tells that he has to do before he goes in to the Holy of Holies. He would take that blood of this goat, Leviticus 16, 14 says, he would dip his finger in it and sprinkle it before the mercy seat eastward seven times. Very important, because on the west side is where Ron Wyatt found the blood of Jesus. On the east side was the blood of bulls and goats. On the west side was the blood of Jesus. So, <clears throat> back up. You have a custom that I should release unto you one of the Passover. Will you therefore that I release unto you the king of the Jews? They cried again and said, Not this man, but Barabbas, Barabbas the robber. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. Now that means they beat him. Later scripture says 39 lashes. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. Now, when we were in Israel, our guide showed us the thorn bush that grows every place in Israel. And he said, this is probably the thorn bush that they platted thorns. And it's, it's, a, it's a long stringy bush. 
it's about, you know, the inside of a pen is, is that the bush is about that long. And then the, the thorns on it are about like half an inch long. They're not long thorns, but they're little bitty thin things. They're like needles. And they can wrap this, and they're long stringy vines. They could wrap this thing in a, in a big round circle. Even one or two of those wrapped together and twisted together would make a really nice crown. And then you put it on the head and you push it down. Of course, those needles go into the skin and probably he had blood running down his face and into his eyes, probably. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a thorn of crowns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Kings wear purple robes. So they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. What's really going on is the devil is trying to get him to stop it. Because if he stopped it, then it would be stopping the will of God. That would be a sin. And Lucifer would have kept control. Everything would have been stopped. So Lucifer was doing everything he could to make it as painful, as humiliating, as embarrassing. Someplace in the scriptures I read that it was the most painful death that any man had or would ever have experienced. Very, very painful. It's everything the devil could whip out on him to get him to stop, stop the process. And they said, hail, king of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. They're mocking him. They're laughing at him, spitting on him, pulling his beard. I think it'll say it in a minute. Other places do if it doesn't. Pilate therefore went forth again and said unto them, Behold, I, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests therefore and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him and crucify him for I find no fault in him. So the Romans, the political side, found no fault in Jesus. Who was it? It was the high priests. It was people of his own family that crucified him. For Jesus to literally be the Lamb of God, there's several things had to happen. His blood had to land on the Ark of the Covenant, for one. He also had to be born in a specific place where the lambs for sacrifice lambs are born. He couldn't have any blemish, which is why they wrapped him in swaddling or restraining clothes in a manger. He was born in exactly the place, exactly the right time, treated exactly like a temple sacrifice lamb. Everything in his life was all done perfectly just so that he could be this perfect sacrifice. And one of the big ones is Pilate, excuse me, the chief priest, the high priest had to okay the sacrifice. So it was very important that the high priest said, yes, I approve him a sacrifice, go ahead and sacrifice. And that's what happened when I said, crucify him, crucify him. The Jews answered, said, we have a law and by our law, he ought to die because he made himself son of God. When Pilate therefore heard the saying that he was more afraid and went again into the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, here's the way we would say it. Who are you? You seem to have done nothing. This is my way. You seem to have done nothing wrong. I don't find any problem with you. 
why are these people hating you so much? Why are these the leaders of Israel, the high priests, why do they hate you so much? Why do they want to kill you? Who are you? Now let's go back to Scripture. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was even more afraid. He went again to the judgment hall and said unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Because if he had told him the truth, if he had answered that question, he'd have said, I am Jesus, the Son of God that is sent forth into the earth as a Lamb of God to die for all people. Then Pilate said to them, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee and the power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it was given to thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard the saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he said unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. I mean, they really hated this guy. They had already made up their mind he was going to be killed for all the people. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away, and he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of the skull. I've been there. I might say that somebody has destroyed it now, but I have pictures of it. It looked like a skull. We've, we've talked about it, so I'll keep moving. <clears throat> The place of the skull, which is in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus crucified was nigh unto the city. I can tell you where it was. It was outside the city. It wasn't inside the city. Because when Jesus returns, he treads the winepress. See, where he was crucified, where he was buried, was at a winepress. I mean, Joseph of Arimathea owned the winepress. I've been there. And he had a huge underground, uh, what do they call it? Um, Cavern, that's not the right word. Cistern, underground cistern. I've been there by it. I've looked at the pictures down inside. It's a massive thing where he'd store water. And then he would feed the grape plants and keep them going. So he had a big vineyard. He was a wealthy man. He was crucified at that vineyard, the wine press. And when he returns again on a white horse, he's going to spill their blood at the same wine press, at the same place Jesus' blood was spilled. Lucifer, correction, Lucifer, will, his blood will not be spilled there. He is, he is tossed into the lake, that, that, excuse me, he's tossed, and I saw another angel come down from having having the key of the bottom of the bottomless pit in a great chain in his hand. And he took hold upon the devil, that old serpent called the Satan, the Satan, 
who deceiveth the whole earth and cast him into the bottomless pit and set a seal on him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. So he, he is tossed into the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Then asked for a thousand years, he's released. And he goes out upon, uh, and went upon the, uh, and went upon the, uh, uh, the earth. Who, uh, I'm losing it. I'm not supposed to talk about that. So let's move on. Fire came down from heaven, devoured the people that, anyway, that's, I'm getting off topic, back on topic here. Then delivered he therefore unto them crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away, and he bearing his cross, went forth into a place called, of a skull, which is called Gogotha, where they crucified him. That's the point I was going to make. So when Jesus returns on the white horse, he will shed their blood in the same place where his blood was shed. Verse 20, this title then read many Jews for the place where Jesus crucified is nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, three languages. Then said the chief priests to the Jews, uh, to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. So Pilate believed he was king of the Jews. That doesn't necessarily mean that Pilate saved. That didn't necessarily mean that he was had his neighbor in the book of life and realized that he is the Lord of glory and his, his blood washes away Pilate's sin. But he did at, re, at least realize there was something special about this guy. Then the soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier, a part, and also his coat. But now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it. Whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. It's another thing <clears throat> that shows us God planned this all out from the foundation of the earth, that his garments would be parted, except for his, the one that was one whole piece, and they would cast lots for that. Every little detail of the prophecies. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> in Jesus' <clears throat> death, excuse me, in his birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection, there was 109 prophecies all perfectly fulfilled. Now, Josh McDowell wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And he said, in all of human history, the chances of just one of those prophecies all being fulfilled, that's not right. The chances of just two of those prophecies being fulfilled in any one person throughout human history is this. He said, take the state of Texas, fill it two feet deep with silver dollars, put an X on one, throw it back in, fly someone across at 2 o'clock in the morning, push them out with a parachute, they land, they get one chance to reach down and pick up that silver dollar with the X on it. That's the chances, I remember it now, that's the chances in only eight of those 109 prophecies being fulfilled in any one person. In other words, it is a mathematical impossibility that all of those prophecies, 109 out of 109, were perfectly fulfilled in Jesus. 
So if someone wants to say, well, there's just not enough evidence that Jesus really was the Christ, they just haven't looked at the evidence. Go get Josh McDowell's book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. You won't get through a chapter. You won't get through one chapter until he's already provided overwhelming evidence, the kind of evidence that courts accept Jesus literally was the Son of God, literally died on the cross, literally arose three days later, 40 days later, literally arose into the heavens, just like the scriptures say. Verse 25, now therefore stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. In other words, take care of mom for me. Take care of my mom. I'm going. I'm leaving. Then saith he to the disciple, behold thy mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. So Jesus is on the cross. He says, I thirst. Okay, well, it's okay to have a drink of water, but that's not what they gave him. Now, there was a set of, set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it, put, up, put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now, what's hyssop? Hyssop is a weed that grows naturally in Israel. I've seen it. it grows all over. And it you've heard people say it cleans like a white tornado. Hyssop does. <laughs> you, you just eat a little bit of that hyssop, and you're going to be on the pot all night long. It is very, very powerful. It's a cleanser. But the vinegar is something that will reduce the pain. So when he realized it was vinegar, he didn't want it because he wasn't willing to remove any of the pain. He was up there to experience and to receive all that the devil could heap out on him because with this, he was going to defeat the devil. Jesus, therefore, had received, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, and he said, now he didn't drink it. He just detected it was vinegar. Then he said, it's finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross. It was preparation for the Passover. The body should not remain upon the, upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for the Sabbath day was a high, high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and things that might be taken away. Now, why? Because when a person's on the cross, surprisingly, they don't die from nail scars. And by the way, I do not believe that the nail is put in here. They're up there for some three days with squirming and everything. They would just pull right through the skin and pull off. I believe it was put here because put it here, you you can't pull out of that, that you're going to stay there. I think it's put right there. I don't know if you can see this, but right there. That's where it is. Not here, but here. So the nail goes in here, but not enough blood comes out when they nail them to the cross to kill them. What kills them? What they die from is asphyxiation because when they're hanging there by their hands, their muscles start giving out. And every time they take a breath, they have to go. They have to lift up. So they push up with their feet. But after a while, their legs and their feet 
and the, the muscles in their body give out and they finally just, and there's not enough strength in them to take another breath. So officially, they die from asphyxiation. But when they're, they have their legs under them, they can live for two or three days. But since they did have two or three days to let them live there, they broke their legs. By breaking the legs, yeah, it probably caused some blood to come out. But they died quickly because they had to then, their, their muscles in their arms and their, their, their upper body would give out quicker and they would just die quicker because they asphyxiate. So, back to the story. Uh, broken by taken away. Okay. Then came the soldiers and break the legs of the first and of the other which were crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. Why? Because the scripture says he has to be a perfect sacrifice. That would have nulled the sacrifice. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, not breaking a bone. And forthwith came out blood and water. Now, I've heard people say, we had some expert doctor come and talk to us one night. And he said, what happens when a person dies is the platelets separate from the blood and the blood looks like it's blood and water. That signifies that he was dead. So when it came out blood and water, any doctor will tell you that person was dead if it was blood and water. So it removes any question about whether Jesus was really dead. And he that saw it bear record and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith truth, that he might believe for those things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they shall look upon him whom they pierced. So all of these were little details, all perfectly fulfilled, 109 of them. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, that's the guy that owned the wine press, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. In other words, he allowed him to take the body. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with spices, as the manner of Jews is to bury. Now in the place where they crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new sepulcher. The garden is a wine press. What was growing in the garden was grape vines, making wine. Garden, a garden in the new sepulcher where never was never a man laid. I've been in that sepulcher. I've got pictures of it. I've talked about it. We'll move on, though. There laid Jesus. There laid they Jesus. Therefore, before the Jews, try again. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews, preparation day for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. The first day of the week cometh. Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, went, went under the sepulcher and seeth a stone taken away from the sepulcher. Now, why was there a stone? It's because the disciples, the, the, the people that crucified Jesus were afraid the disciples would come and steal Jesus' body away and then say he had come back to life. So I, I don't know if this is the place it'll say it, but I'll tell you. So Pilate said, okay, we'll make it secure. So they circled the place roundabout with soldiers. And the soldiers were slain in the spirit as the angel appeared and rolled back the stone. When he rolled back the stone, when I was a child, I remember thinking, 
when it said that they sealed his tomb, I thought, well, they probably sealed it with wax. No, it was sealed with a, 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 I guess, spike. And the spike, I've been there. I've seen the spike. Got pictures of it. It's about that big around. This big knuckle on on my thumb. That's how big the spike is. You can still see the spike today. And when the stone was rolled from right to left, that opened the sepulcher, and it just sheared off that spike. <coughs> I'm trying to find my place again. There lay Jesus before, therefore, because the Jews' preparation for the sepulcher was not at hand. The first, okay, I read that. And then, okay, here it is. I'm going to read one again. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher. We know not know we we know not where they laid him. Peter therefore went forth and the other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then come a sign of Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and a napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. See, they told, he had told them, you know, I'm going to come back. They just didn't understand it had happened this way. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. He said he's going to come back, but they didn't understand he's going to rise from the dead. <coughs> then the disciples went away again into their own home. But Mary stood without the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they said unto her woman, why weepest thou? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had said that, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said unto her, Mary. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus said, now this is very important. Jesus said unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But I go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and to your Father, and to my God, and to your God. Okay, I'm going to take you someplace. We're at John 2017. Remember that, Stan. John 2017. We're going to jump to <clears throat> Revelation 19, about verse 10 or so. Okay, here it is. This is Jesus returning. I saw heaven opened. And behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him is called faithful and the true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is Jesus returning some 2,000 plus years later. This is Armageddon. Now, watch. 
His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. And he had a name written which no man knew but he himself. Now, this is the point I want to bring you to. He was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. Whose blood? His blood. So she's about to say, or he's about to say to her, don't touch me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. Why? Why do you have to go to the Father? Because he had to drip his blood on the Ark of the Covenant in heaven to also fulfill the the, the, the scriptures there too. See, there was an Ark of, of Covenant that was made on earth, but it was a copy of one that was made in heaven. So he had to go to heaven to drip his blood on the Ark of the Covenant and his wedding garment, he also dipped in that blood. Because when he returns, he's going to satiate his garments with the blood of his enemies. So right now it's getting dipped in the blood, but when he returns at the wine press, I'll show you, at the wine press, he's going to satiate. In other words, he's going he's to be dripping with their blood when he returns. And he's going to destroy all of the evil on the earth. Watch. He was clothed in a vesture dipped in blood, his own blood. His name is called the Word of God. The armies which are in heaven followed him on white horses, clothed in fine linen and white and clean. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that would be the morning star, that with it he should smite the nations, he should rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fearsome wrath of Almighty God. So he brings them down in the valley of Jezreel, right down to the same wine press, just outside the city, the same place where his blood was shed. He brings them down to that same place and sheds their blood. He hath on his vesture, that would be his wedding garments. He just came from the marriage supper. Here, I'll show you that one. I got that prepared and ready to show you too. But I got to do some clicking here to get there. All right, let's see. I don't think you can see that yet. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me. Uh, video power, okay. First time I've done this here. Share screen, window, this one. There. Okay, so now you're looking at this. <clears throat> and let me, let me, let me do this. Ooh, I don't think, I don't think I can go whole screen with that. Maybe I did. Okay, maybe you're looking at this whole thing. That would be better if you can. Okay, so let me remove this. Okay, so as I've explained many times, the next time Jesus returns is on first fruits. He resurrects 144-year-old, excuse me, 144-one-year-old Israeli boys, and they walk around with him for 50 days. This is when the angel cries the everlasting gospel to all those that dwell on the earth. Then on Pentecost, the barley harvest and the wheat harvest then go to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We only get a wedding garment, and then four months later, we get a white horse to ride on to go back. Jesus, the groom, is crowned King of kings and Lord of lords. He has given many crowns, a vesture dipped in his own blood, and then he also is given a white horse. And then about four months later, he returns for the grape harvest, along with the two angels that have the sharp sickles, they slash the grapes, he burns the tares, and they return here for the Feast of Trumpets of the Day of the Lord. This is the judgment seat of Christ. Then 10 days later, 
we all get to go watch the great white throne. We are already in eternity, already in our glorified body. This does not affect us. This is those people dead not in Christ. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. Okay, now, enough of that. Let me see if I can jump. I wish I could wish I could do this faster. Probably next time after I figure out how to do this, I'll be able to do it faster for you. Share screen window. We want to go back to this and share. Okay. Now, now we want to go back to uh, John. Can't read my own writing. 2017. Okay, so now I think you're seeing this. Yeah, you are. You're not seeing me, but maybe that's okay. Okay, so he says, touch me not, for I'm not ascended to my father. In other words, he has to go to heaven to drip his blood on the Ark of the Covenant and dip his wedding garment in it for his return. Touch me not, for I'm not ascended yet to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be unto you. He said, Shalom. <laughs> and when he had said so, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were his disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then Jesus said unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins you retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Except I shall see his hands and the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of his nails and thrust my hand into his side, I shall not believe. Now, much has been said over poor Thomas over the years. <laughs> you know, we, we, the unbeliever. You know? <laughs> but if you think about it, of all of the 12 disciples, Thomas was in one of the best positions to be a witness. Because he'd say, no, I touched his hand. I put my hand in his side. It's kind of like me and Dimitri. I, I, he, he, had, he put my hand against his ribs. He said, feel my ribs. It was like uh, all broken up. You know, it was like not smooth ribs. He had me feel his arm right here. And it was like it was a big hump here. And then it was, where's a muscle supposed to be? There wasn't a muscle. It was, I don't even know how it worked. Uh, like I can say, I've been on Mount Sinai. See, so when you when you when you can say I I tested it, I checked it out. I walked on Mount Sinai. I have been to the tomb of Jesus. I have been within a stone's throw, according to Ron Wyatt, of the Ark of the Covenant. When you can say all those things, Thomas really was in the best position to convince others that Jesus really was risen from the dead. You can say, no, I touched it. I touched his side. I saw it. It's real. After eight days, verse 26, 
Again, the disciples were, are within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? I'll read it again. After eight days, again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. Did you catch it? So they were in the room. Look, ah, hang on. They're in the room, the doors being shut. The doors were shut. <laughs> All of a sudden, Jesus just appears in the room to them. That's pretty convincing too. Then saith he unto Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. See, Jesus had heard that conversation. He wasn't there, but he heard the conversation. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. He realized. Now, these are some of the most important words in the Bible, what he says. Jesus said to them, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet believe. That's where we want to be. We want to be in that position to where we have not seen and yet believed. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you might have life through his name. And we got nine minutes left, and that's a whole other chapter, so I think we'll leave that for next week. I think. Let me see. How many more chapters are there? I need my. Is that just, if it's a short chapter, chapter 21. Yeah, no, no, it's a short chapter. Okay, we'll we'll start at 21 next week. At least that's the plan, Lord willing. Okay, so <clears throat> uh you know, I haven't even checked messages. <laughs> I don't even know how to check messages. There aren't any messages showing up what I'm looking at here. So I'm sorry if you wrote a message, I'm not seeing it. It ain't making the trip. Maybe we can do it another time. You know, most of the places that do this live streaming have another person that's checking all that. Oh, here. What, what, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I see there's a hundred. Am I looking at this? 162 comments? Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> I can't read 162 comments. Whoa. Okay. Well, maybe we will start there next week and read the comments. Yeah, okay, wow. Wow, okay, 162 comments. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll tell you what I think of it. I like it. We got to figure out a way to be able to have somebody reading the comments and Stopping, probably stopping at the end of each chapter and taking questions and comments and things like that. So uh, hopefully there's there's not any mean comments on there. But anyway, I just want to say, I've been doing this Bible study. We started it, that would have been in 1986. Yeah, maybe seven. 
been doing a Bible study most of the time every Friday night. We've taken off, you know, we take off during the summer. It's good to take off for a while. And to me, it is a blessing. It's a blessing. It, it, it fills my heart with joy. It fills me with spirit. It keeps me out of the world and in the way with Jesus. It refreshes my scriptures. I can't tell you how many times I read these scriptures, but every time I read them, I see something deeper. And it, it, it here's the way it works. Because we live in the world, if we don't work to stay out of the world, this is the way we work to stay out of the world, then we naturally fall into it. If we don't go to church before long, we aren't going. Let me, let me rephrase it. If you've been going to church and you miss once, it's real easy to miss twice. You miss three times. And before long, you're not going to church at all. That was 10 years in Leslie and I's life. We didn't even go to church. Finally, we started. So I, I was once said to us, look, we need to start going to church. We need to start going to church. And guess what? If the toilet is going to back up, guess when it backs up? When you get ready to go to church on Sunday morning. If you're going to have a flat on the tire, that's when you have it, when you get ready to go to church on Sunday morning. If you're going to have an argument with the wifey poo, it's going to happen when you get ready to go to church on Sunday morning. Because the devil tries his best to keep you out of church, and he does his best to keep you out of reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is extremely, extremely important. I had this one lady say, uh, I told this story several times, but she said, if I had not been in your Bible study, she was one I was doing up in Omaha. She says, when I went off to college, I would have fallen away. I probably would have lost my salvation. Because reading the Bible keeps you rooted, keeps you grounded. If we don't run towards the law, towards, we don't run towards the Lord, by default, we fall back into the world. Okay, so <clears throat> I want to end with a prayer. I don't know how many people we have online. I'm, you know, 162 comments. That's we haven't even been getting any comments in the past. So I think that's pretty good, whatever, however that's happening. Um, I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed. And I just want to say I love every one of you. Anybody that stayed to the end reading through the Bible like this, you know, you're saved. You're you're a Christian. You know, you love what we do. I love you. I love reading the Bible. I love spending time with you, spending time with the Lord. So I want to I want to pray a blessing for you. Lord, thank you. Your word is true. Thank you for all of these people that have tuned in. And thank you that you did protect us from the hail. That when I go walk in my house, there will be no damage. Thank you for every one of these people that have been given to you. Help me to be able to lead them in a closer walk. Help them all to get closer to you. Help every one of us to get prepared and to serve you in the days ahead. All to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those that are needing help with money, help them. Those that are needing help with their marriage, help them. Those that have money problems, help them. Those that have problems understanding a word, Problems finding the right church, help them. Show them which church, which Bible study they should be in. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, it's 7.57. So we read the Bible for a good hour and a half. We read 
from 16 through 20. So what's that? Uh, four? Little long chapters. Good chapters. John's good book. Anyway, we'll continue next week. I see someone said, I love you, Stan. Thank you. We love you, too. Watching from Barbados. Let me just flip through the, a few of these here. Watching from Barbados. Wow. Okay. Anybody real far off? Anybody outside the nation? Anybody else outside the nation? Uh, let's see. Uh, one of them says, what was Gaul? Um, I don't think what we read tonight said Gaul. That's probably in another version. Our version said vinegar. Uh... <laughs> okay. One said, you should pick me to help with comments. Okay, I'll pick you to help with comments. Um I don't know. I wish I'd seen this before. I, I was told it was there, but I just didn't see it. Anyway, live and learn. You know, we'll get we'll get better. It was still wonderful spending the evening with you. I really enjoyed it. And we're reaching more people. And, and I like it. I mean, it's so convenient. Here's the only thing is I really enjoy having other people in the room where I can ask, you know, do you understand that? What are your comments? I like that part. But for the drive that people don't have to do when we do it this way, and besides that, it's, it's a whole lot of fun to go out and pick up hailstones where the devil's trying to stop us. Anyway, okay, well, God bless you. I'm going to turn it off. It is now 7.59, so we went exactly an hour and a half. God bless you. Thanks for watching. See you next week.